Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. The following is an intimate conversation about the realities of giving birth, and it may not be appropriate for sensitive ears. On today's episode... You need to know that the world will tell you you're supposed to be perfect in all these ways. And people will try to use shame to force you to be what they think a a person needs to be. And it's like, no, shame is isolating and it keeps you in the dark. But as soon as we are brave enough to say, this is what I'm going through, anybody else out there too, that's how we build our community. That's how we find out we're not alone. There's nothing wrong with us. And we might be struggling and we don't want to stay there, but that's okay because that's just part of of living. We experience suffering, we experience joy, we experience everything in between, and it's all okay. Hello, welcome to The Birth Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Williams. I'm so glad you're here. In Los Angeles, where I live, we're having these crazy, amazing thunderstorms right now. And so if you hear some thunder and pounding rain, then that's what's going on. It's really exciting because we don't we don't get that very often here in sunny California. Are you ready for a soothing free therapy session? <laughs> because that's what I felt like I got after speaking with my guest today. My guest today is a therapist and parental mental health expert. Her name is Ashley Hannah Morgan. She's going to tell us her two birth stories. One of them, she had an epidural and one of them, she didn't have any pain meds. The second one was the one with no epidural. So if you're someone who's had an epidural and maybe is thinking about going natural next time, you can hear how it went for her. Also, she shares her own experience with miscarriages, what she learned as a result from her own perinatal mental health struggles and how that changed the trajectory of her career and life. One of the things that I really, really love about Ashley is not only is she making a big difference in people's lives one-on-one through her personal practice, but she's also designed, developed, written, and published her own curriculum that anyone can use to create a really great support group in their own community. One of the most difficult things about being a new parent is sometimes feeling that you are alone going through it alone. So we're going to hear some really, really great advice on how to build that mom tribe and sort of how to get in gear to create your own support group. All that and so much more. Let's dive in now. Are you a mom of one or mom of two? I don't remember. Two. Yeah. So I have a five-year-old and uh, and a 17-month-old. Emery is my oldest. Emery, cute. So her name is E-M-E-R-I-E. He's the one that I wrote everything about and the one who kind of, uh, yeah, gave birth to me as a mother. Yeah. And then Erilyn is my second daughter, Erilyn. Oh, beautiful names. I love those. (laughs) Thank you. So sweet. I want to know, let's start with who, who was Ashley before motherhood? right? Like, so what were you working on uh, before you became a mom? And maybe what were your passions and focus? And then at what point did, you know, the thought of maybe I want to become a mom enter it? Oh, goodness. Ashley, before I became a mom, it's so different, uh, as I'm sure most people relate to. But yeah, 
I've been a social worker as my profession, as my calling. I love social work. I've had a couple different jobs in that field, but I had been working in hospice with seniors and loved it. I felt like every time I got to meet a new patient, I would go into their home and it kind of felt like, you know, you get to explore their world with them, Mm. seeing their space and hearing their stories and helping them feel like their life has meaning and purpose and a legacy. It was just kind of fun. It was sort of like having a lot of grandparents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like bonus grandparents. But I knew that I wanted to go into private practice someday. And I, I've i always been a writer as well. My bachelor's is in English lit. Ooh. And I just, yeah, tried to really live life to the fullest. My idea was I am walking into a really sacred, heavy space all day long with my job mm. and holding space for other people. And after five o'clock or whenever I get off, I need to go out and live my life to the fullest. So for me, that was cooking and having dinner parties and having people over, going to restaurants, trying new foods and wine, um, going out dancing when I lived in San Francisco, (laughs) having um, the freedom to do that in that beautiful city that's like a playground for adults was so fun. And then I met my partner there and He and I knew that we wanted to get pregnant and um, have a family someday, but it happened a little sooner than we planned. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were talking about getting married and all of that. And I I swear it was like the month of October, my eyes opened to the fact that there were babies everywhere. It was Uh. like my body decided (laughs) that Emery needed to be born. I had baby fever like crazy. Uh, we traveled, I got sick, I ovulated late, we got pregnant on accident. And it was like, Oh, wow, here we are already. Okay. Wow. Yeah. I feel like Emery came steering into my life like a comet. She just willed herself to be here. Um, And and she, she was an incredible baby from the start. I felt like she was born and after 30 hours of labor. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're gonna, I want to hear about just, that part, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. She just, you know how it is. You look into your kiddo's eyes and they look into yours and you're like, I know who you are. And mm. uh, she's a, a deeply empathetic little person. I say her superpower is she feels strongly, uh, but that also equated to she got overstimulated easily mm. and she cried all day long and all night long. Mm. And, um, yeah, we didn't sleep for a good year and a half. So that was was tough. Yeah, Yeah. that is, uh, that is (laughs) one of the toughest parts about new parenthood is the sleep deprivation for Mm -hmm. sure. Um, so with your first pregnancy, was there anything that surprised you about pregnancy? It was, how was your experience being pregnant? It's so interesting because now having been pregnant two times, I've had polar opposite experiences. First pregnancy, I felt like, you know, I had some morning sickness. But it went away, and overall, I felt healthy and strong. Still went out dancing, mm. <laughs> still, you know, did a lot of things and worked full time right up until the end. So I felt really fortunate. And yet, because it was an unplanned pregnancy, I had a lot of ambivalent feelings. Mm. You know, I I honestly spent maybe half the time hoping I would miscarry, and the other half of the time, you know, feeling connected to her and and being in awe of this little person who was growing inside me and, you know, watching the apps, you know, that tell you all their developmental stages. And so it was a really ambivalent time too. Interesting. Uh, We got married, we moved in together, uh, but we got pregnant first. 
Oh, wow. So that put a, a lot of, you know, just, it just puts you in a pressure cooker as a couple. Yeah. Uh, we had a really strong bond as friends before we started dating and we did a lot of really fun projects together and we knew that we worked well as a couple. We had a firm foundation, but, you know, to go from planning art projects for Burning Man to then being like pregnant and stuck <laughs> at home <laughs> uh, is, you know, very different lifestyle. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it was just a really intense time. Second pregnancy was opposite. I I don't think I had hyperemesis the way that, you know, a lot of people do where they're throwing up constantly, but I, I had nausea and heartburn 24-7 and mm. threw up a lot more frequently. So as you know, when you're nauseous, you just don't even feel like yourself. You don't feel like doing much of anything. Yeah. And so at that time when I was pregnant with my second, I did have my private practice. I was facilitating the support group for moms. Um, doing a lot of perinatal mental health work, which I was really passionate about. Hmm. But, you know, everyone knows someone, even if it's not their own story, who's had a, a loss. And I've had two miscarriages in between oh, my baby. in between the babies. So, oh. yeah, yeah. So it was um, a really intense pregnancy, also having ambivalent feelings, fearing that I would lose her, right? Yeah. Not wanting to lose her. And, and then feeling like I was bonding with her, but almost being afraid to, right? Like, right. what if I lose this pregnancy too? Yeah. So very ambivalent feelings, both pregnancies, but very different experiences physically. And wow. thankfully, I have two beautiful, healthy kiddos. But yeah, it's, a, it's an emotional roller coaster for moms. We go through so much and so much of what we go through ends up feeling like a private tragedy because we don't always either feel comfortable sharing or we maybe we bring up that we've had a miscarriage and how it affected us. And that causes the person we're listening to, to feel that stab of pain because either she had one too, or she -hmm. knows someone. Cause I tell you what, I didn't realize when I opened my private practice, I thought I might have like one or two clients who experienced loss, Mm -hmm. pregnancy loss, stillbirth or miscarriage. And it was like half of my practice. I was amazed. Nurses and, you know, different healthcare professionals of all kinds would call me up and be like, hey, I had this person who had a miscarriage and I don't know where to send them. I don't know what to do. Like, I know you do postpartum depression stuff. I'm like, well, actually, it's all perinatal mental health. It's pregnancy and postpartum. But it's so unique. It's so interesting because of my background in hospice. I led grief support groups. Right. I worked with people who were who were grieving. And yes, it was end of life, but life comes full circle, you know. And mm. so a lot of people are, are privately grieving miscarriages and don't know where to go to talk about it. There aren't that many people that know how to hold space for our ambivalent feelings, for our feelings of loss and grief. Yeah, that's so true. You know, they're just so intense. They could be really triggering for people. So we end up keeping a lot of things to ourselves that we were not meant to. You know, those intense feelings. uh, I I really believe that the only way we heal and work through them is in community, ultimately. Mm -hmm. You know, we can know all the right things to do, right? We could do self-care and meditation and go to therapy and take medication and all that good stuff. But ultimately it really helps to have another mom say to you, either I've been there too, or you know what, I haven't been there, but how can I love on you? How can I support you? 
And so that's why I love what you're doing with the podcast and just oh, thank you. putting it all out there, being real, you know? Yeah, I think that that is so true that the hardest thing is going through, feeling like you're going through it alone. Yeah, no one tells you, welcome to motherhood. You're going to feel really isolated. <laughs> you're yeah. going to be constantly with a baby who might be screaming at you all day long and you're going to feel really alone. Right. That's just not something that we do well in our modern society because partially you know everyone's rushing around 90 miles a minute and we don't sit down we don't pause we don't hold space for other people because Mm -hmm. we're we're all so busy but um, motherhood it forces you to slow down Mm -hmm. and so that's why it's it's so crucial to find your your other mamas that you connect with there's Mm -hmm. really I think there's no other way to do it because, you know, in isolation, then we do get weighed down by our own thoughts. We do start to feel like, oh, my God, am I going to feel this way forever? Mm. And that's where that hopelessness piece that can really increase those feelings of postpartum depression comes into play. You know, when we feel hopeless, like things are never going to change. That's the root of despair. Yeah. When we, when we do have hope that things will change because we've got another mom who maybe their baby is a few months ahead of ours and we can see some light at the end of the tunnel or maybe we're just all our babies are the same age, but we're in it together and we have mm. someone else to commiserate with and, and you know, yeah, someone else who says, I, I feel you, I get it. You're not alone with those feelings. That's what's life-giving about community, right? It's saying right. you're not alone. You're not the only one. You're not a bad mom or there's nothing wrong with you that you love your kids, but sometimes wish you had a break from them. Yeah, you know, that's that's healthy and normal. <laughs> totally. We all feel that way. Yeah, and I think the hardest thing is getting up out of that pit, you know, that you feel like you're in and actually reaching mm-hmm. out and finding the support. So the fact that you're making it really mm-hmm. easy for people to like, have the curriculum and, you know, set it up. I think that's really, really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah. The birthplace of that was um, just like you were saying, you know, it's so hard to, to recreate the wheel, right? We, mm. We're trying to make a human and raise a human and, and also take care of ourselves and work and do all kinds of things. And so I don't think that we should all have to recreate the wheel every time we need something, mm. right? So part of it is like, personally, you can you can look back in your own life and say, hey, what coping tools worked for me before? And some of those might be available to you, but some of them might not work anymore. Like mm. after I had a baby who didn't sleep, who woke up to eat, you know, every couple of hours and, and would wake up screaming nine times a night. Mm. Guess what? I didn't feel like going out dancing and and like relinquishing any sleep, right? Mm. You know, what used to work for me before, getting that physical release and being around friends and music and all of that, that was just not even something that sounded fun. Mm. So sometimes what's depressing about motherhood is you go, wait a second, I was pretty good at this self-care thing before. I knew to journal. I knew to go to yoga. I knew to do whatever, go out in nature, and now I either don't have the time to do it because you literally don't. Like there's a baby who who needs to eat constantly and mm-hmm. has diapers and all that, or you don't have childcare, or those coping tools don't work anymore. And that's right. what was really mind-boggling to me was, you know, working in hospice, having a very heavy job, but then counterbalancing it with life-giving activities. I was good at that. And then I, after I had a baby, I was like, wait a second, this is harder than my job. How come no one tells you this is harder than working full time in a really intense 
situation. That's, I mean, I I shouldn't be laughing, but it's, it is so ironic, right? It's like, uh, uh, yeah, it's, uh, and it makes it, it makes it feel even more shocking. I feel like probably, Mm -hmm. um, oh my gosh. Yeah. So then I went back to work part-time after Emery was born and I felt like it was a vacation. Like, oh my God, I get to pee without someone screaming at me. Mm. I get to eat lunch without someone screaming at me. (laughs) You know, you get to like have a minute to think and to breathe, um, even walking in between, you know, clients. And so it was just amazing to me that um, I guess I'm sensitive to noise, it turns out, because being around a baby that was, you know, some people say colicky, some people say fussy, whatever. Mm. I had no idea how stressful that was going to be just it's overstimulating for us too as adults sometimes yeah so on one of my days off I was like I've got to get some moms together I need to talk to some other people who are going through this too and one of the things about my background as a social worker is every social work job I've ever had there was some kind of support group element and I love support groups because there's this really fascinating dynamic where people come together and at first it's kind of tentative you know they're Mm -hmm. like feeling things out and then it gets messy it's like the second or third session, people like put themselves out there a little bit. Sometimes there's resistance. Sometimes people, you know, feel like they're being judged or whatever. But if you can work through that messiness and get to that, that next phase, that's when people really coalesce and come together and really start to work together. And you see the group members start to support each other and mm. almost say things that you as the therapist would say, that's when you know the group is working, when they're offering that support to each other. And so there's just magic that happens that in a support group that doesn't even happen in individual therapy, right? So I basically um, kind of posted this and was like, hey, who wants to come to this free support group? And it turned out a lot of people did. Mm. Uh, And I like to keep things kind of on the small side. The magic number is somewhere between six and eight people. But then with moms and their babies in the room. Uh, it can get a little, a little chaotic, right? Yeah, so like yeah. We just have to, we have to go with it and, and be flexible. And if you need to breastfeed, that's cool. If you need to bottle feed, if you need to get up and go do something. Uh, but it was really important to me to make it skill-based, right? Like we can come and vent and yeah. actually feel worse because we're rehashing and reliving all those negative emotions. Uh-huh. Or we can come together and have a little structure around it have each week focused on a different skill set and something that's really important psychologically as mothers and then learn some new tools so that we start to feel empowered right Mm. Um, there's this physical baby that's forming in this bump when we're pregnant and everyone can see that physically we are gestating a human Hmm. but we sort of forget to talk about the psychological gestation of a mother yes Um, There are actual, like, (laughs) there are actual milestones, just like there are for the baby's birth, for their development and their growth, too. Um, And one of the biggest ones is looking back and realizing what messages we've received about what it means to be a mother Mm. and to really dismantle the myth of the perfect mother. There is no such thing, right? Mm -hmm. And yet somehow we tend to have these images in our minds that, oh, I'm going to be this perfect mother to my child. And the truth is you are like, you are the perfect mother to your specific child. We are each gifted with these little humans Mm. who are going to help us grow and we're going to help them grow. So 
you know, barring any abuse or neglect, you can't do it wrong. Right. If you're paying attention to your child and you're feeding them and they're clean-ish and they're loved, you know, then you're not doing it wrong. But we have to stop aiming for that myth of perfection. And to some people, it looks like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to lose all the weight and be really fit and skinny. To some people, it looks like I'm going to constantly have organic, healthy food that my kid's going to love to eat and not throw on the floor. (laughs) Uh, You know, for some people, it's I'm going to breastfeed for a year or two years or three years or whatever it is. And then it turns out that it's not working out for their body. Right. Yeah. And I, I swear, whatever expectation we each have, it will turn out that that will be the thing that won't work <laughs> because that's part of becoming a mother is is shedding those expectations, yeah. allowing ourselves to have grace for ourselves and to, to feel like we're failing, but to realize that we're not, mm. that those feelings are liars, you know, feelings. They, they give us valuable information, but they come and go, you know, and mm. there's other other sources of, of information. I just think that's so powerful because there is just this pressure that women put on themselves. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of surprised that when I was pregnant, Mm -hmm. I started confronting like feelings that I had, that I've, I'd never thought of before in my life of judgments Mm -hmm. that I had on other mothers Mm -hmm. in my life, you know, and even like combing through my own childhood, you know, and I had a wonderful Mm -hmm. mother, but even like these feelings of judgments coming up about my own mother and, you know, and, and being afraid Mm -hmm. of like, oh no, what if I become this person or what if I become that person? It's so interesting what you're saying about how we try to reach this perfection, but I feel like the ugly other side of the coin, Mm -hmm. at least for me of that was confronting this reality that I was ashamed of that I had these judgmental feelings and thoughts towards other people. And I'm just being really honest. Oh, yeah. I've never said that out loud before. But I think it's kind of important Mm -hmm. because I know I can't be the only one that has to sort of navigate that feeling of newness of, okay, but what kind of mother am I going to be? And that sort of set me up maybe for more pressure on myself in the beginning yeah. of, I, well, I can't do X, Y, and Z because I don't like that. But then you, when you maybe do X, Y, or Z or one of those things, then you start feeling guilt or... No, you're absolutely right. Because the perfectionism is rooted in shame, right? If mm. we feel, if something is triggering shame in us, then either you know, we can get depressed and feel like we're not good enough, or we can go to the opposite side and be like, well, I'm just going to work harder and do it better. And, you know, and it could be about the simplest things. After we have a baby, I don't think anybody tells you it might actually be really hard to soothe your baby. Like Mm. there are babies that their mama picks them up or their daddy or whoever that they're attached to. And, and that baby just settles down and, and, calms down and is instantly comfortable there are other babies who are not that way who just they scream no matter what and they take a lot of those five s's and those different you know soothing techniques but I didn't even know that was an expectation that I had that Mm -hmm. I would hold my baby and sing to her and rock her you know and expected her to be calm and it wasn't that way and so that definitely triggered a feeling of not good enough. What's wrong with me that I can't get my baby to calm down and the neighbors are, you know, eyeing me like, what's wrong with you that your baby's screaming all the time. It makes you feel not good enough until you realize, no, they're all different kinds of babies. And well, really crying is the only way they have to communicate (laughs) their needs, you know? Um, And that just means that 
I, I just need to be curious, right? I just, it's not that I'm not good enough. I'm just going to persist in being curious. Okay. If this is, this is not working, let me try that. If that's not working, maybe she needs something else. I and love it's, uh, that. Persist in being curious. Yeah. That's such a good mantra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's such a good yeah. mantra for new moms. I'm just going to persist on being curious. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. I, well, uh, and I love that you use the word mantra mm. um, because it's true. Whether we're whether we're struggling with actual you know mental health issues or postpartum depression or not, we're all going to have those moments as moms where we don't feel like we're good enough. And so with Emery, when she was having a hard time, sometimes I would just say out loud to her and to myself, I'm doing the best that I can. Mm. And that was because it was the truth. You know, it, it didn't feel good enough, but it was, hey, I'm doing the best that I can. And I'm going to I'm gonna keep trying, kiddo. That's you know? great. That's great for moms yeah. and dads. Uh, staying yeah. curious, keep trying. It's not about you. This is just mm-hmm. a situation you can sort of, I mean, you have to find your Zen at yeah. some point. Cause as you and I both know with toddlers, yeah. it's like, oh, well, <laughs> eventually you got to find it. <laughs> so the sooner the better. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Well, and you know, one of the things that we're not told as new moms, and it would be so helpful if someone would just say, hey, by the way, your body is designed to have a stress response when your baby cries. So there's not something wrong with you. It's evolutionarily adaptive because when your baby cries and you have a milk let down and you feel that jolt of adrenaline, like I need to respond, I need to fix it. Mm. That's That was built in so that your baby wouldn't die, right? If we didn't have that, we might be like, oh, the baby's fine, you know, and not respond. Sometimes that can make it really tricky because we can feel like this this wave of panic, like, oh my God, the world is ending and it's it's not that's where we need the reality check of our thoughts to balance out our feelings, right? Mm. To be like, you know what? I know that I feel like like this is a disaster moment, then I need to fix everything, but it's okay. She's yeah. just communicating her needs by crying. And and I have what it takes. Like I'll figure yeah. it out, you know? There were times that it was so yeah, panic inducing that I would literally say to my baby, you're safe and I'm safe and we're going to get through this. Okay. Mm. You and me kiddo, you're safe. I'm safe because my body didn't feel safe. My body felt like a rush of, of anxiety and, and you know, these are just things we don't tell mamas enough. Yeah. I think that's so helpful. The physiology sometimes, at least for me, like my brain, my Mm -hmm. brain works this way. (laughs) Like if I can understand Mm -hmm. the physiology of something, it makes me feel like, I'm not, I guess I'm not dying or I'm not going crazy. You know, like I had an extreme reaction, I should say an extreme physiological response when my son started eating solid Mm -hmm. food and we dropped a couple feet Mm -hmm. feeds. And Mm -hmm. I did not know that weaning depression was a thing. And my body reacted very strongly to stopping maybe two feeds at once. Mm -hmm. And I went, that's when I went into a deep depression at that point. And I felt like, lost at sea. And one day I finally, I was talking to a friend of mine and she told me, oh, well, you know, this is a thing, weaning depression. Like if you drop some feeds and your body takes a hormone dip. And I was like, what? And it made me feel Mm -hmm. so much better just understanding. Nobody ever told me this before. Like if I had been prepared Mm -hmm. for that, you know, then and also it helped me understand that when I did eventually wean, then I had to do it slowly 
for my own mm-hmm. body. And then I, I was kind of afraid of it, but I was like, no, there's a way that I can do it yeah. and cope, you know, but everybody is yeah. different. And sometimes it is physiological. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I love that you brought that up. Definitely. You know, it's also that if you are breastfeeding, your body is sort of in the same hormonal environment as menopause. And so, you know, mm. sometimes our partners are going, hey, where'd your sex drive go? And you're like, yeah, I don't know. I lost her. <laughs> but it's because breastfeeding, you know, it changes things. And for me, that was really helpful to know, too. Like, oh, that means this is temporary. That doesn't mean that I've completely lost myself. Right, because our sexual energy yeah. is connected to our, our creative energy and our, our zest for life. So when mm. that dissipates, you kind of go, oh, yeah, I feel blah. Mm. Where did that go? And it's directly tied to that. Yeah, our prolactin levels that cause us to have a milk supply for our babies are connected to our dopamine levels. And dopamine is a, a pleasure neurotransmitter in the brain. So it makes a lot of sense. It's so helpful to understand that. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are built in there, but we just don't talk about it enough. And thank goodness your friend told you that and could give you that, that hope. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was in a low, low spot and feeling like Mm -hmm. really guilty that I was having Mm -hmm. these thoughts and, you know, like, yeah, it's just, Mm -hmm. um, uh, it's it's not easy. I'm so glad you had her. And yeah, that's, and those are the stories that, that I hear over and over in my office with clients who do come for perinatal depression or anxiety or OCD or PTSD, mm-hmm. um, you hear like, oh yeah, I had this one friend and, and hopefully we all have one friend, but, but we might not, you know, we're lucky yeah. if we have one friend who tells us those things or one lactation consultant or one doula, yeah. um, you know, but a lot of people who do come into my office maybe don't have that or they don't have a lot of family support and it's not that that's the only piece of the puzzle, right? Yeah. Um, perinatal mental health is so multifaceted. We know that hormones are at play. We know that social support is a big part of it. We know that relationship stress is a big part of it. Mm. There's a huge correlation, you know, going both directions between interpersonal violence and, and postpartum depression and pregnancy uh, depression as well. Mm. So, you know, everything either like exacerbates everything else or it will it will help everything else and so if we can start to work on some of the pieces right okay maybe there's depression there and you know what it's tied to breastfeeding so let's get you on uh, some wellbutrin because that works on dopamine in the brain let's start there and let's get you into therapy and let's yeah work on building up that mom tribe um, get the support going there uh, couples counseling, you know, it seems like a terrible time after you have a baby to start couples counseling, but it could mm. actually be a really uh, ripe time, you know, to mm. maybe excavate some past hurts or maybe to nip some things in the bud, some habits that are forming. The The research on couples is that 70% of couples report relationship dissatisfaction in the first year, you know, from John and Julie Gottman's work. And so it's 70%, like almost three quarters of people are are saying, yeah, the first year is rough on relationships. That's the reason that I put that into one of the weeks of the support group is talking about uh, relationships and sexuality, because those are those taboo topics that, you know, you want to bring up and you're curious about and you're kind of wondering, yeah, that couple 
seems like they're doing better than we are. How are they really doing? <laughs> you know, I know it's so true. I yeah. ask every mom that I talk to on here about mm-hmm. sex and it's because specifically people don't ever talk about it. And the thing mm-hmm. you hear is at your six week appointment is like, great, you're good to go. Bye. And you just don't know what's normal. Mm-hmm. And so that's awesome oh, yeah. that you put that in the curriculum. Can you go over like a few things that that covers? Yeah. Do you mind? Yeah. So that first week we're looking at the birth of a mother and that the psychological gestation, like we're talking about um, in the second week, we're looking at really understanding what is uh, perinatal depression and anxiety and how is that different than, you know, just the baby blues, Hmm. which they say up to 80% of moms actually do experience. And that can be really mild, but, you know, lasts for a couple days, maybe a week or two, and then goes away on its own. Hmm. Um, You know, and so some people say, oh, yeah, I had postpartum depression, but it went away. They're probably talking about the baby blues. So if there really is actual clinical depression or anxiety, what are those treatment options? Right. Uh, in week three, we look at cognitive behavioral therapy coping tools. And I have those on my website in the handout section for free for anybody. Week four, that's when we look at transitioning from partners to parents. Mm. Uh, in week five, we look at mindfully attaching with your baby, mm. even in the midst of of healing or working on your own self-care. Yeah. And then in week six, we look at healing through creative arts, right? Love it. Love so it. We're looking at all of those multifaceted things, right? We need to work on our own selves, but we also need the community aspect. We need the couples aspect. We need the medication and medical aspect. And then we also need mindfulness and we need creativity it was really trying to create something that would wrap around a mom in all of her biological, psychological, and social, spiritual aspects. Yes. But yeah, going back to your question about partners, that's one of the handouts that I have on my website as well. Different things that um, can really help, maybe even conversation starters for couples. Mm. You know, everyone has heard of use an I statement when, when you talk about your feelings instead of saying, you made me feel this way. Instead, try saying... Hey, I felt, you know, I felt like you were upset with me when you used that kind of short tone. Is that really true? Or what's going on there for you? And hey, maybe next time, you know, we could, we could schedule having a, a chat about our relationship when after the baby's asleep or something. Mm. But even that, even using I feel statements can be really direct and really intense, especially when there's a baby in the middle. And sometimes after the baby goes to sleep, we are too tired to talk about how we're feeling and what's going on. Yeah. So there's um, a really cool phrase that Brene Brown uses in uh, one of her books, Rising Strong. And she talks her. about, yeah, the story I'm telling myself. So you might say, hey, the story I'm telling myself is that you were upset with me. Um, is that is that true? And that gives the person a chance to clarify, right? Say, oh, no, that's not what I meant at all. I just I had a headache at that moment. Or, mm. you know, I was kind of uh, short with you because the baby was crying. Um, or they could say, actually, I am feeling kind of disconnected. And like, we need to schedule some time. Um, as you can guess, I'm a big fan of scheduling, <laughs> scheduling talks, because when the the baby is in the middle, it can you know, it can cause some emotional dysregulation for the baby too, right? They yeah. pick up on what we're feeling. Um, yeah. You know, even now, my 17 month old, if I cry or something, she says, Mama sad, Mama hurts. Oh. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they're so in tune with us. Um, 
you know, yeah. and really we need that time to, to um, just connect with each other without distractions. Uh, I'm also a really big fan of starting out with encouragement and praise, uh, you know, even starting with, Hey, I know you're doing the best that you can before explaining what hurt your feelings or before explaining what the issue was, mm. you know, giving someone the benefit of the doubt can really diffuse a tough situation mm-hmm. from the start. And, yeah. you know, sometimes we're in fix it mode because there's so many fires to put out so many things that are going wrong. And sometimes we need to say to our partners, like, Hey, I just, I need some time to vent a little bit. Could you listen without offering suggestions until the end? Um, you know, sometimes we see our partners struggling especially when there's postpartum depression or anxiety. And so we just want to fix it for them. Yeah. And I wish it, I wish it worked that way. I wish we could fix those things for other people, but we can't, what we can do is we can listen, we can hold space. We can tell them, you know, I hear you. We can validate their feelings, but it's normal to feel that way. Sometimes we can remind them that feelings come and go. We can help redirect their thoughts to more helpful mm. um, patterns, but we can't fix it for them, you know? Yeah. Even if you're saying, I'm, I'm so depressed because I don't get to go do anything I used to do or, or, Hey, I'm so depressed because, you know, um, this baby's eating every hour and I feel trapped under a baby. The solution of, okay, let's just hire a nanny isn't really the solution, right? It's not really what the person is looking for. The person is looking for you to say, I hear you. That is really hard. That must be so tough for you to not even have autonomy over your own body sometimes. How can I support you? Oh, it's so true. It's so simple. Mm -hmm. You just said it's like, yeah, it really is exactly that. It's that that just I hear you. I see you. I'm sorry. Like that sometimes fixes it, you know, I mean, not always, but, um, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, it's so powerful. It almost gives me chills when you say that, right? I hear you. I see you. I'm sorry. Those are the most powerful words. Yeah. 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 Validating is so key. You know, we can also, on the positive side, we can catch our partner in the act of doing a good job, right? Like, hey, I love how you are singing silly songs to her while you're reading to him. Or it was so great when you talked to him about your day while you were changing his diaper, you know, or you're so patient with her, whatever it is. We can can really catch our partner in the act of doing a good job, too. And, you know, even if before the baby was born, uh, you know, your words of affirmation were not your love language, Maybe it was physical touch, but now maybe there's not as much time and space for that. Mm. Those those words of affirmation can almost like tide you over till you can get to connect or get to the physical touch. And that's where, you know, intimacy doesn't have to mean sex either. It can mean, you know, holding hands, playing with each other's hair, even just like, you know, rubbing each other's back as you walk by, uh, something that counts toward making you both feel loved. You know, and laughing together. Sometimes we have to just look at the giant poop blowout and go, "What? What in the world?" <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's crazy. There's like projectile vomit on the wall, and you're like, "What is our life?" <laughs> and if you can laugh about it, you know that yeah. releases some of those feel-good neurotransmitters mm. and helps you de-stress together. Sometimes we have to just look at our partners and say, "This is." a really crazy chaotic time and it's also just a season right like Mm. we need those reminders that this is a really brief blip on the radar in in the grand scheme of our entire lives you know and so let's try to savor it let's laugh about it 
let's help each other connect over like, this is something that only you and I understand because you and I are in this together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can share it with your friends and laugh a little bit, but no one else cares about those, those small triumphs and tragedies the way that your, your co-parent partner does. Right. right. Yeah. It's so true. Trying to find the strengths that are still there in the relationship and then those really hard moments where you're like, actually, everything you're doing is just making me very angry. Sometimes we got to even, you know, we always talk about being mindful and being in the present. Sometimes it's not helpful if the present really sucks, right? And so mm. I'm like, hey, in those moments, let's just reminisce about the good times, mm. right? Like, hey, remember that really great date we went on? Remember, you know, when we um, had that amazing sex? Remember that vacation we went on? It could be shifting our awareness and attention to something positive in the past, too. That can be mm. being mindful when the present is tough. You know? That's great. Uh, but ultimately, just not letting things fester. That's the biggest thing, right? Mm. Sometimes we all stuff things down. Yeah. So, yeah, sometimes our sex drive is a little bit on the back burner because of breastfeeding or different hormonal issues. But sometimes it's because we're letting things fester and we need to just schedule that time and be open with our partner before we start to feel contempt and bitterness and you know all those negative things towards them. Right. And then sometimes we just have that, hey, I'm really tired. Can we have some like easygoing sex, (laughs) you know, to just feel connected, right? Like, can we just take it easy, but I make this quick, but I want to feel connected to you tonight. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes that's, that's good. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So this is all so amazing. I want to get back to your story real quick. Yeah, sure. In the first pregnancy, you're having some ambivalent feelings. How did you feel? Did you feel like that affected the way you prepared for your birth? And what was your birth plan for the first baby? Yeah, so interesting, because I definitely had those darker moments, those thoughts where I was like, oh, you know, I wish this weren't happening. Mm. Um, and yet I I knew that I was with the person I wanted to be with and that that was who I wanted to parent with. Mm. And so when we had the conversation and we knew we were going to move forward with that plan, I was like mostly all in. But, you know, you just have those, those moments, those intrusive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Something that's interesting to me about that is that 90% of mothers have intrusive thoughts. Mm. So intrusive thoughts can be, you know, something you don't want to think that just zooms into your head and you're like, oh, I I feel like a bad person because I thought that, you know. And once again, that's oftentimes centered around harm coming to ourselves or to our babies, right? Like, Mm. and it's because we're supposed to be cautious and careful and protective of them. You know, so sometimes you might have a thought of like, oh, no, like you're pregnant. And oh, no, what if I get into a car accident? Or maybe after your baby is born, you're you're concerned because you see like the sharp corners everywhere and you don't want your baby to get hurt. Mm. And sometimes that can make us feel like there's something wrong with us or like we're bad people. Mm. It's like, nope, actually 90% of moms experience that. Wow. 90%? Wow. Mm-hmm. And it's biological. It's evolutionary. It's, it's all meant to be a good thing. It's just sometimes it goes into overdrive. So yeah, I definitely... Um, Oh, when it came to Emery and her birth, I was so excited. Mm. I had a 30-hour playlist of music. <laughs> oh my gosh. So you thought maybe it would take a while. You didn't you would, Yeah. <laughs> <okay>. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, um, like I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a musician, I'm a dancer. And so yeah. to me, that's really helpful. That's what gets me in the zone. I feel like I can do anything if I've got good music mm. there. So mm. I asked different friends who were musicians to send me things and I compiled this long list and it turns out I used the whole thing. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, oh, wow. uh, I didn't anticipate being induced, but, um, when her due date came up and, and then passed and then, you know, four days later it was like, huh. I'm not feeling so great. I went in and they're like, yeah, your blood pressure is just a teeny bit high. You could, we could induce you. And I was sort of like, yeah, let's just do this. Okay. Um, interestingly enough, I didn't know that um, Pitocin, the synthetic form of oxytocin, it has been linked in different research studies to postpartum depression. I didn't know that at the time. Oh, and I have never heard not that. Something. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because a lot of times when we give our body a synthetic version of something, our body receives the message, oh, I don't have to make that. Mm. So that's part of it. Um, for some people mm. with postpartum depression, there's not enough oxytocin in their own system, giving them those feel-good bonding feelings. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it's not something they tell you, oh, hey, we're going to induce you. And by the way, this is a risk factor. Would you still like to go forward with that? You oh know, and realistically, if they had said that, I probably would have been like, yeah, we'll go forward with it. It's okay. Right. Not knowing, right? Not knowing what I was about to experience. Hey, it's Christy. I just want to jump in here really quick because I did a little research on my own. I wanted to check up on this study about Pitocin being linked to postpartum depression. I was able to find one study online, but I don't really want to spend a lot of time going into it right now. I only found the one. So I'm just going to encourage you do your own research. You know, you, everyone has Google, you can look it up on your own and also just ask your doctor about it. If you want to know more about that and fact check that I didn't have a lot of time to really dive into it. However, I do want to dive into some of the other things about Pitocin that no one really tells you before you give birth. So let's do a fun fact, huh? Here we go. It's time for fun facts you didn't know about giving birth. I personally had my labor augmented with Pitocin because my water had broken and after several hours, nothing was happening and my body wasn't going into labor on its own. So what did the doctor do? They gave me Pitocin. But the only thing that I really knew about Pitocin was the fact that it was a synthetic form of oxytocin, which is what helps your body go into labor and deliver your baby. So that's all. I didn't really think much more about it. Let's take a moment to think a little bit more about it, though. How is Pitocin different than oxytocin? There is a very specific article on verywellfamily.com about this. I really like verywellfamily.com as a resource because every article is written by a doctor and medically reviewed and verified by a second doctor. So it's fact-checked and I learn a lot from them. So I thought what we'd do for this is just literally read you this article because I found it to be very clear in helping me understand why someone might get Pitocin and when might be a good idea for you to say, actually, no, I don't want that. So here we go. Let's just jump in. 
the numbers of inductions of labor still using artificial means like Pitocin and other medications have gone up dramatically in the last few years. There are hospitals in some areas that 90% of the women have their labors induced or augmented with Pitocin. Augmented just means that the labor was sped up. Science has shown us that inducing labor can increase the numbers of complications in the labor and with the baby. So you might be surprised to hear that many of the inductions are not for medical reasons, but rather for reasons of convenience, either for the practitioner or for the mother. And this is known as social induction. That's different, however, from a medical induction. Medical induction is done when either the mother or the baby really need the pregnancy to be over. A few examples of reasons for medical induction might be preeclampsia, interuterine growth restriction, low amniotic fluid, or decreased fetal movement. One of the things that women talk about is they are led to believe that induction is completely safe and relatively easy, right? And while this is generally true, Artificially created hormones, including Pitocin, do not act identically to the hormones in one's body. For example, in pregnancy, both the mother and the baby produce oxytocin. The oxytocin produced by each reacts differently in the body because they each have separate jobs. Here are five things that you may not know about Pitocin. Pitocin is released differently. Oxytocin is released into your body in a pulsing action. It comes intermittently to allow your body a break. Pitocin is given in an IV in a continuous matter. Now, this can cause contractions to be longer or stronger than they would if your body was doing it naturally, and that could deprive your baby of oxygen. Pitocin prevents your body from releasing its own endorphins. When you're in labor naturally, your body responds to the contractions and oxytocin with the release of endorphins, which are a morphine-like substance that help prevent and counteract the pain. But when you receive Pitocin, your body does not know to release the endorphins, despite the fact that you are in pain. Pitocin is not as effective at dilating the cervix. So when the baby releases oxytocin, it works really well on the uterine muscle causing the cervix to dilate. Pitocin works much more slowly and with less effect, meaning it takes more Pitocin to work. This is one of the reasons why labor with Pitocin can take longer than spontaneous labor. Every person needs a different amount of Pitocin to achieve the desired effects. Pitocin lacks a peak at birth. In natural labor, the body provides a spike in oxytocin at birth, stimulating that fetal ejection reflex and allowing for a faster and easier birth. Pitocin is regulated by a pump and not able to offer this boost at the end. The pump is used to help regulate the amount of Pitocin that enters your system with the goal of preventing you from getting too much, which can cause too many contractions or contractions that are too strong, and this could cause fetal distress. So the pump is helpful in preventing this from happening. And the last one is Pitocin can interfere with bonding. When the body releases oxytocin, also known as the love hormone, it promotes bonding with the baby after birth. Pitocin interferes with the internal release of oxytocin, which can, not always will, but can disturb the bonding process. Your body's own natural oxytocin is superior in many ways to Pitocin. There are also other ways to increase the release of this natural oxytocin, including skin-to-skin contact, lovemaking, breastfeeding, and others. So, The biggest takeaway is that if you're presented with the option 
of an induction of labor, you might want to just ask your doctor or midwife about whether or not it is being done for a medical reason or if it's something that just a little bit of time and patience will help alleviate. This might mean you have to wait for spontaneous labor and it may mean additional testing to see if an induction will really be the right choice. At the end of the day, you might need an induction for medical reasons. Look, I did. And even though I didn't know all this before I had my baby, I have no regrets at all about getting Pitocin because that was what was medically necessary for me at the time. The important thing to remember though is now you know and you can have an informed discussion with your doctor about it. And I would even encourage you to discuss this with your care provider way before you get to the labor phase. Maybe even as you're interviewing an OBGYN or a care provider, ask them how they feel about Pitocin as induction of labor and in what cases that that would be absolutely necessary. Just ask them. You don't know until you ask. It's hard to make an informed decision if you don't hold all the cards. So that's what we're trying to do with these fun facts is just give you all the cards so you can play them as you wish or as you need to. And now back to the show. So yeah, Emery, her birth, it was like very long, drawn out, but not that painful until they broke my water. And then I was like, yes, I am using the safe word. I want that epidural. Yeah. <laughs> I had planned, you know, not to, and I, I didn't need any pain management for the first 24 hours. But yeah, thankfully, a nurse did tell me, hey, by the way, once they break your water, your pain could go from zero to 60. Yeah, yeah. Lots of more pressure. Yeah. You were planning to do natural. Is that what you said? So did you come? Mm -hmm. Did you come to the hospital like prepared with other pain coping techniques for when it got hard? I did. Yeah, I did. I had, um, there's a, a gentle birth app that, you know, teaches some different, uh, mindfulness and, you know, kind of cognitive ways to cope with pain. I mm-hmm. had my essential oils. I actually had electric candles that they let me bring in mm-hmm. and kind of have softer lighting. I had music. I, I wanted to try. I wasn't opposed to medication, but I just thought, you know, women have been doing this for millennia, like out in the forest somewhere. I want to try right, <laughs> right. and see what it's like. We had done the birth class mm. at the hospital before. We had practiced breathing and counter pressure. Mm. That was enough um, up until the point of breaking my water. Gotcha. That's when it was almost like my body went into shock because I was just shaking all over from oh, yeah. that intense level of pain. Yeah. You know, uh-huh. it yeah. was like I instantly went into active labor. The good thing is that I was able to feel fully present for the birth. I had heard from other mamas, you know, sometimes with an epidural, you can't feel enough and you Mm. can feel disconnected from your body. I I didn't experience that. So that was good. And yeah, I had my specific set of music for the pushing part. Mm. And it was like three pushes and she was out. So that was cool. Um, I saw her little dark fuzzy head crowning and was like, Oh, there she is. Uh, You know, and Every every parent has this. They lay they lay them on your chest and you look at them and it's like oh, I instantly felt that love and that bond and that connection. Wow. And I had honestly been worried that I might not. Right? I I remember when I was pregnant, people would say, "Oh, are you so excited? You know, everyone's so joyful for you." And sometimes you're not that joyful. You're feeling nauseous or you're tired or you're like, "Ah, this mm-hmm. is a bad time in my life <laughs> to have a baby." But, and and my standard response was always, I'm excited to meet her. Yes. Mm. Because I felt like that was more honest, right? I wasn't excited maybe in that moment, but I was excited to meet her. And then when I did meet her, 
and her little fist unfurled on, and I just saw her, her fingers, her hands were mm-hmm. like this perfect miniature of my own. And I was like, wow, that is my kiddo. <laughs> um, it is so incredible. Yeah. That, that meeting yeah. of the child. Oh, so incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. the pushing phase was really fast. Did you, did they give you a mirror? Mm-hmm. Like, is that how you saw her crowning? No. I'm very tall. I'm six feet tall. Oh wow! <laughs> so I think my torso, my torso is long enough that I can be able to see. That's that's impressive. Uh, yeah, uh, that's awesome. And then you know what's what's so funny is for my second, like I was saying, the pregnancy was so different. I was sick the whole time. I wasn't as able to be as physically active because I was so sick. And mm-hmm. so with her birth, I was worried that I might not be physically up to the challenge to the same level. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, maybe it's going to take longer. Maybe I'm, what if I need a C-section or something happens? Mm-hmm. And, you know, for me, I have a couple of friends and different people I know have had planned C-sections and that's all well and good. But to me, like having an emergency C-section was what I was afraid of. Mm-hmm. And so the irony is with Erilyn's birth, <laughs> It was the day of the due date, exactly. Oh. And I was going to bed. I was like, oh, it's, a, it's about 11.15. I think it's not coming today. I guess I better go to sleep. And I had been taking the medication for nausea mm. that makes you sleepy. So I just took the medication and was drifting off to sleep. And I heard an audible popping sound oh. and was like, what is that? Because the first time they broke my water for me, right? right? And the second time, I'm like, please tell me that wasn't my water breaking. This is a really bad time. I'm about to drift off to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I just took this medication. And I'm all sleepy and cozy. And so I didn't get up for a minute. I was like, okay, maybe maybe that's not what that was. You know, and then you feel kind of the, the liquid. Okay. The, uh-huh, oh, no. uh-huh. So I didn't wake up my husband. I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like chill here for a second and see if I can go to sleep. And then the contractions were coming like every four minutes. And I was like, what is happening? This is way too fast. So I did wake him up and I told him, but I was like, but I don't think we should go yet because, you know, once you go to the hospital, they might not let me like walk Mm -hmm. around or eat or do as much. And he's like, what do you mean? They're coming four minutes apart. We have to go now. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to take a shower first. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I took a shower and I was like leaning against the wall. Like, oh my God, I don't know if I can stand up. We get to the hospital, and this particular hospital, the parking garage is very far from labor and delivery. It's, it was not designed well for that. Um, and mm. so I'm walking. I'm, like, determined to walk the whole way because once you get there, they might not let you walk around, right, if you need to be hooked up. Uh-huh. So I'm having contractions now every two minutes leaning against the wall, and he's like, can I please get you a wheelchair? I'm like, no, no, I got this. <laughs> so... <laughs> Then this other hospital employee sees us and she's like, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you get your wife a wheelchair? <laughs> and my <laughs> husband's like, I was trying. She's just very stubborn. Uh, so by the time we got to the check-in, I couldn't even talk. I was in so much pain. I was mm. just breathing. And you know, when you get to that level of pain where mm. anyone talking to you is like about to send you into a flying rage. Yeah, yeah, so you're yeah, just uh-huh. like, no, I'm not functional right now. <laughs> yeah. Don't ask me like you know, from a driver's license. (laughs) So they got me into the bed and we didn't have time for anything. So of course I had my bag packed with my essential oils and my music and my little clip on fan for the IV pole because I get hot Mm. and my, you know, my body pillow. All I had time for was the body pillow. The baby came out 
like an hour and 18 minutes after I got into, after I got checked in. Oh my gosh. Did you get an epidural again? No, there was no time for that. Oh my gosh. Mm -mm. I, oh, I begged. I was like, can I have a Tylenol please or something? And they're like, the baby's coming out. They didn't give you nitrous or anything. No. Oh my gosh. No. Yeah. I don't know where the nitrous was, but um, the nurse wasn't, (laughs) wasn't giving it. Uh, and so honestly, those were the two things I said I wanted. I wanted an epidural because that went so well before. And I wanted a female OB and it was the male who was on call yeah. and I got no epidural. Um, but yeah, that's where the counter pressure was all I had. I was breathing. I was like uh, telling my husband to push on, you know, my back and I had that body pillow and I was just, you know, gritting my teeth and doing it. But Girl, there's that, wow. there's that moment where you're screaming like, an animal and you don't even care. You're like, I don't care who hears me. I don't care what they think. Yeah. I just need to get this baby out. That's right. Um, both of my babies were over nine pounds. Oh my so, goodness. Yeah. Now wow. that I've had one with an epidural and one without, I'm glad I've had both experiences so that I know the difference, but I would, oof, I would choose the epidural with as yeah. big as my baby's were. <laughs> such a brutal whirlwind. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, did you feel like the ring of fire or whatever when it's coming out? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Basically the, you know, the doctor's like, you need to hold your breath and hold your legs and push. And my husband's like, no, no, you need to stop holding your breath. You're turning purple. You need to breathe. And I'm like, I don't care. Just get the baby out. He yeah. said, hold your breath and push. <laughs> yeah. So there's a point at which you're like. How long you know, did you push with the second baby? I don't know. It was a matter of minutes. Oh, it was, it was fast also again? Like, oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Some people push for like four hours. It's so crazy. I know. I know. So, you know, here I was kind of worried that I wouldn't be able to do it or something. And the OB had told me though, my own OB had said, hey, if it was that fast with the first one, like don't even start pushing until I'm in the room oh, wow. with the second one. Because if it's, if the pushing part is fast the first time, it'll be even faster the second time. Mm. And, um, you know, at that point, they were telling me not to push because the doctor wasn't in the room yet. And it's not voluntary. Your body's just taken over. It's primal, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm like, don't well, tell me not to push. I got to get this baby out. Yeah. So the... F- <laughs> Descri- can you describe yeah. the feeling between like the epidural feeling like you needed to push or was your yes. epidural completely blocked or did you feel the pressure still? Cause some people, everyone's different. Yeah, you're right. Everyone is different. I I felt pressure. I felt when I was having, well, I was watching, you know what? I think it's because I was watching the monitor. And so I knew when my contractions were happening. Oh, that's helpful. You see that little peak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I didn't feel pain and I did feel pressure. And I felt, you know, like the doctor's hands and everything kind of helping. But I literally said right after my first daughter was born, that was great. Let's do that again. Like, (laughs) not immediately, but let's have another kid. And after my second daughter was born, I said, I am never doing that again. Like, we were talking about maybe having three. And I'm like, nope, done. Wow. (laughs) Never again. Do do you mind if I ask you if you tore or? I did. Both times, it was just a second degree. Okay. Hair and the doctor, you know, he was on call and he was a very experienced doctor, and so I lucked out that way, even though he wasn't my doctor mm-hmm. the second time. But he said you, you tore in the same place and stitched you up and everything, okay. um, and that's the difference. The first time I didn't feel them while they were stitching me up. This time I was like, hey, I feel you down there. Okay, so did they give you like um, yeah. just a topical pain relief to stitch you Supposedly, up? Supposedly, but I still felt it. <laughs> oh boy. 
Yeah. Oh man. Women are incredible. Yeah. Women are, our pain tolerance is unbelievable. Yeah. We're, we're incredible. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's, it is crazy to feel like you're going to die. You know, you, that experience of like wondering if that amount of pain is going to end your life is a, is a unique form of trauma as well yeah. so yeah birth birth trauma is a whole other podcast it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 it is but it's like yeah. I don't know it's that's the thing that's so so bizarre is that it is such a spectrum and it's hard to know mm-hmm. like what's the normal amount of pain, you know, mm-hmm. like I, I happened to have mm-hmm. an epidural that didn't work. Ooh. And then at the very last minute, they like replaced the epidural and the second one oh. worked. Oof. And so I didn't experience to the very, very end of my labor pain relief, but I did have mm-hmm. pain relief during the pushing phase and I ended up with an episiotomy. So I was I was like wondering, oh my gosh, like what would that have been like without the epidural? Because I mean, I was at like a yeah. level 10 pain, screaming, same thing, like crying, shaking, <laughs> like mm-hmm. just knock me mm-hmm. out and get them out. You know, like I, I was just mm-hmm. done. But some women seem yeah. to handle it like no big deal. It's good yeah, to hear the whole I, spectrum, you know, because I definitely was not yeah. prepared for that level of pain, I would say. I think if I could have done it non-medica- non-medicated in a water bath, I think water is maybe the only other way, and I, I haven't experienced it, but from what I hear and from what I've seen and read, it seems like that would give your body uh, a little buoyancy and a mm-hmm. little support in a different way and like some warmth and some comfort yeah. uh, in a different way. Yeah, it sounds good. I've interviewed two moms that have had home births. Both of them wanted mm-hmm. to have a water birth and both of them like weren't able to be in the water at the time, which, mm-hmm. I, you know, I it, for different reasons. But yeah, it's interesting. It's like yeah. kind of even if you have this idea of like, this is how I want it to go. No, girl, mm-hmm. it's like probably not going to go that way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but be flexible. Yeah, And what an introduction into motherhood, right? Like yeah. you have a birth plan, you think you know how it's going to go and it's going to go completely differently. And it's just going to go how it's going to go. And that's sort of our introduction to motherhood, right? Yeah. And it's so interesting to me that we as a society, I think we focus a lot on pregnancy, right? And having this like glowing goddess, healthy pregnancy. And mm-hmm. we focus on labor because that's the big scary part. But labor really is just a blip on the radar. Mm. And it's it's afterward that's so, you know, it's the marathon that starts right afterward yeah. when you're pretty depleted, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I felt really fortunate that I was able to breastfeed both times. I had a really rare thing happen the second time where I had what's called dysphoric milk ejection reflex. Oh, they okay, what's don't that? even know that. Yeah, the acronym is DEMER. If you go to like D slash like a hyphen, M-E-E-R dot org. Mm. I don't even think they have a percentage of how many people have it because it's really, really rare. Mm. Uh, I only knew about it because I'm perinatal mental health certified. I was like, oh yeah, that (gasps) question on the exam. I remember that question. I don't know, that's me. It's when every time you have a milk letdown, there can be a wave of some kind of dysphoric or negative feeling, like a wave of anxiety, a wave of despair, a wave of rage, a wave of homesickness a wave of nausea. It's really weird. And it's super rare. That's terrible. Yeah. But if you imagine like every time you have a milk letdown, you're supposed to have some oxytocin and some warm, fuzzy, happy feelings. But it was the exact opposite. 
Just wanted to let you know that I have put a link to find out more information about dysphoric milk ejection reflex in the show notes. All you have to do is swipe up on the episode and there's a link right there. You can read more about it and become more informed. It's super easy. The link's right there. So oftentimes DEMA can exist without and completely separately from postpartum depression. I had Mm. both. I had postpartum depression uh, and anxiety Mm -hmm. after my first baby. And then I kind of hoped that I wouldn't have it again. I I hoped that, hey, we've got more resources and more experience and, you know, more coping tools the second time. Maybe it won't happen again. And it turns out for me personally, it was actually worse the second time. Oh, wow. Because I also had that dysphoric milk ejection reflex like 10 times a day. Wow. And it goes away after the milk letdown goes away. But it, it's very strange to have that happen. And then this baby, she wanted to eat. If, she would have eaten every hour if I let her. Mm. She ate all day long. And then and so we'd like push it to an hour and a half. Like, okay, kiddo, you're not that hungry. <laughs> Come on. But then she slept a little better at night. And so I was like, well, okay, little chubby baby, I'm just going to feed you all day long and and hope you sleep better at night. And it it did work that way. But it made my days pretty long and pretty hellish. No kidding. And so yeah, this time around, I, I yeah, I really hoped it would be better. But there was that element. And then the anxiety aspect was really ratcheted up also by having a toddler to take care of at the same time. Mm. And, you know, when you have two kids, sometimes they have, well, most of the time, they have very opposite needs at the exact same moment and you can't be in two places at once. And so as literally sitting there feeding Erilyn, you know, like trapped under a baby, feeding her for 45 minutes, she would only eat in like a dark, quiet room. Otherwise she was too distracted. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I'd be like feeding her in her room and then I'd be watching on the Nest Cam my other kiddo in her room doing something super fun, like peeing in her trash can. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> I can't I can't get in there. And I get a text from my husband, like a screenshot. Hey, did you see this? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. I'm, I can't be in two places at once right now. Oh. And uh, yeah, the emotional roller coaster of um, my older kiddo, you know, adjusting to having a sibling that took a good seven months for her to adjust, I want to say. Can you tell me how you got through that and what helped with that? Because I know a lot of people listening, you know, they want to have more than one. So what was that like? Absolutely. You know, it really helped when another mom told me, yeah, it took them about six months. Mm. I didn't, I thought that it would be a tough transition, but, you know, sometimes we're just not prepared for how long things take Mm. to adjust. And it's not, you know, you can't rush those processes. Um, there was a lot of reassuring my older toddler, you're, you're mommy's first baby. You're the baby that made me a mommy. You will always be my baby. Mm-hmm. You know, you're a big kid now, but um, kind of letting her explore how she still felt like a baby and also explore how she didn't feel like a baby anymore and let her be sad around that. Yeah. Uh, what was really hard was I used to have, you know, 45 minutes to hold her if she had a tantrum and I didn't have that anymore. Yeah. You know, um, that that definitely for me triggered a lot of feelings of guilt and shame and, and just loss, right? Like loss yeah. that I didn't feel like the mother I used to be. I used to feel like I was a good enough mother to her because I was available to her whenever she needed me for the most part. And then I had to divide my time. Um, 
you know, and sometimes you have to prioritize the infant because yeah. their needs are primary in that moment. So there's a lot of, whew, a lot of teaching her and myself at the same time. You know, I'm not perfect. I, I can't be everywhere all at the same time. I'm going to make mistakes. And you know what, kiddo, I'm sorry. When I make mistakes, I'm going to apologize. And you can even tell me, you can tell me how you feel and, and we'll just go through it together. That's great. Because I don't know about you, but um, for myself personally, and a lot of people I've talked to, their parents didn't never apologize to them growing up. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a big thing for me is, mm-hmm. is teaching that to her. Like, yeah. You know, you as a kid, your feelings, they matter. I respect you and your feelings. And when I make mistakes, I'm going to apologize. But, you know, there's all kinds of tips and tricks like that people told me, like, give, well, make sure she has an activity to do while you're feeding the baby. My kiddo, she's a she's a little ninja. She'd climb into places I didn't know she could climb into. And so she wasn't yeah. being supervised for a minute. I was like, dear God. Yeah. Uh, she also made a lot of forts. It was really funny. And oh then one gosh. time I asked her, why do you want to sleep under the dining table? And she said, I feel safe here. And I was oh. just like, okay. That's you so know, cute. and so sometimes we just got to go with it and let them experiment and figure out what works for them too. I don't yeah. know. A lot of grace, a lot of patience. Yeah. Oh, setting expectations. But um, to answer your question about what helped the second time around in terms of postpartum depression, mm. my like biggest message to mamas out there, especially after having gone through it twice, mm-hmm. is we have to learn to accept all of our feelings in all of their manifestations. Mm. And it's going to sound a little out there. But I'm even talking about those feelings of rage and those feelings of anger and despair and depression and even those moments when we feel like we don't want to live anymore Mm. because it hurts so badly. Those are just feelings. They are feelings that come and go. They are feelings that are there to teach us, right? Like, oh, that feeling like I'm hurting so badly that I don't want to live anymore. That is a feeling that's here to tell me I'm in pain and I need to reach out for help. Mm. and reaching out for help it might definitely be going to therapy but it might also just be telling another mom friend what you're going through in the moment it's so much easier for a lot of us to like fix ourselves or Mm -hmm. fix ourselves up enough to to go out into the world and say oh yeah I had that but I overcame it and look at me now and Mm -hmm. really when we're in that those really dark places we need to ask for help in the middle and in the midst of it and mm. let people know what we're going through because it doesn't it doesn't go away just because you tell someone, but it helps you feel supported. It helps you feel connected. Helps you feel like you're not alone, yeah. and it kind of makes meaning out of it. You know, when yeah. we're in the support group and we come together and we're like, you know what? I felt I felt like I just wanted it to be over because this is so hard. And someone else says, I've been there too. But you know what? Your kiddos. They love you. They need you. Even though you feel imperfect, even though you feel like you're not doing it good enough, they need you and you're their mom. And guess what? Like, you don't want to miss out on their lives. You don't Mm -hmm. want to miss out on all those adventures you're going to have and watching them grow up. You really do want to live. Let's figure out how to help you feel like you want to live. And for me, a big part of that was making art out of it. Like I mentioned, I'm a writer. And so Mm. I wrote a lot of poems that I didn't think I would ever share with anybody. I I swear I wrote them on the notes app on my phone. I love it. I love (laughs) the note app. That's great. I really feel like sometimes as a mom, um, you know, we might 
we might be doing all the things that are supposed to work, right? We mm. might be doing all the things that are supposed to make ourselves feel better, like yeah. taking medication and exercising and healthy nutrition and, you know, coping skills and date nights and whatever. Mm-hmm. And some days it's just not enough. Some days it's just too much to take it in really mm-hmm. that our life has changed so drastically because we brought another human into this world. And so some days just to be able to create some beauty out of the mess, some days just to be able to be like, you know what, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's also the best thing I've ever done. And I'm going to just try to make some beauty out of it. So I ended up writing poems on the notes app on my phone, like little scraps mm-hmm. here and there. Mm-hmm. And then as I was doing the support group and, and talking with other moms, the last week where we talk about creating art to make meaning out of our experience, you know, I'd invite people to bring something that spoke to them, whether it was, you know, a painting or a picture or some type of art that mm-hmm. helped them feel like someone else understood their feelings. And so I ended up just self-publishing this book of poetry because I wanted moms to know they're not the only ones that feel that way. And for me, poetry can kind of, um, you know, just grab you in a way that prose can't. Sometimes mm-hmm. you read it, it's like the imagery in it. You're like, yes, that's how I feel. And, yeah. and I'm so glad that someone else understands, um, puts it in a different perspective. And so I ended up publishing the book of poems. I gave birth to my heart all the poems I wrote when Emery was small and mm. just needed to express how I felt in those moments. And it's been really, really beautiful to share those with other people and, and get feedback from other people like, Oh my God, yes, that poem about feeling anger as a mother and never thinking I would feel that way. Like, yes, I feel that way. And there's a couple poems in there about loss, about, uh, you know, infertility and loss as well, yeah. but really just, you know, our experience as mothers, is so multifaceted and so profound and so life-changing. And I don't know about you, but for me, just sometimes art is the only way to really fully express that. Yeah. And so that would be my encouragement to moms who are listening as well, you know, is to find a way to, to honor your own feelings mm-hmm. and to express them. You know, it could be visual, it could be painting them, or there've been a lot of really cool photography projects around motherhood as well mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't have to make it right we might be like oh, I'm not that great with a paintbrush but we can follow you know a photographer on Instagram who <laughs> does yeah. those things that help us feel those feelings but really truly there's no such thing as a as a wrong feeling they just are and they come and go and the more we try to avoid them the more they tap us on the shoulder and follow us around you know so isn't that the truth really, yeah <laughs> Yeah, the the best thing we can do is try to embrace our feelings like a mother, right? Even that anger, even that rage, even that despair, just to be like, oh, hi, despair, you're here again. Okay, mm. what do you have to teach me today? Mm. And And to comfort ourselves with those feelings the same way we would comfort our crying babies, right? Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm human. I'm having a human experience yeah. of feeling... Like I have an unmet need and that makes me angry in this moment. And yeah. all I am is human. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm just human. I so. love that. And I love that you've connected it yeah. to creating art because I don't know if you know, but I'm an actress and an artist. And I, I feel yeah. like that's been one of the challenges of motherhood is that, especially in that mm-hmm. first year, I was being a little bit separated from that life, you know, and, and, mm-hmm. um, 
finding a way to have a creative outlet, man, I wish I would have made a point to do that because I do think that that's so healing. And also art is the exploration of the human experience. And it does help us get in touch Mm -hmm. with our humanness by maybe maybe it's a, a way that we can express ourselves when we're not feeling brave enough to be honest with someone else on the phone, you know, like I'm feeling right. rage right now or whatever, you know, you can right. express that in a different yeah. way through music or, or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, paint. And um, mm-hmm. that's such good advice for anybody feeling, you know, intense mm-hmm. emotions, but especially for yeah. women trying to navigate or new any new parent trying to navigate um, the ups and downs mm-hmm. of <laughs> yeah parenthood. because art really helps us see both the shadow side and the light side right mm. like we can be in the darkness and feel overwhelmed or isolated or you know anxious all those things but then if we can hold up our emotion or our experience almost like a gem looking at it from different angles being curious about it realizing, yeah, there are different ways to look at this. There are Mm. different aspects of this. How can I catch the light? Where can I find that? Mm. And even if, even if what we write or we sing or we express through painting or dance is dark, even the fact that we expressed it in an artful way, we made beauty out of it and we found the light, you know, and that's really sometimes all you can do. And whenever we think, oh, no, this is too dark, this is too ugly, this is too raw to put out there, I know whenever I've taken the leap of faith or vulnerability, whatever you want to call it, to put it out there, and someone else connects with it and says, thank you, you freed me up to feel my feelings too, that makes it all worth it. That makes Mm -hmm. it all okay, Mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Not that we we need to make meaning out of every single moment of suffering, but it's just sometimes we can make meaning out of it. And, and that's really beautiful. You know, isn't it interesting that sometimes it's easier, like it's hard to give ourselves permission to be human, but when someone else gives Mm. us the permission to be human, that it, it's Mm -hmm. like so much easier to sort of forgive ourselves or let go Mm -hmm. of trying to be, perfect yeah and the the light and the shadow side I love that because it's really it's like the extremities of of becoming a parent kind of put Mm -hmm. focus on the the light and dark moments in ways that maybe we don't confront Mm -hmm. before we become parents just because like the stakes Mm -hmm. get raised you got a human in your life you know it's just like immediately you leveled up in this game and uh-huh. and it feels <laughs> you like you might not have realized you were you were forced to do that, but now <laughs> you have been, and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're in at the advanced yeah. level now. So uh, the mm-hmm. pressure is on, but that doesn't mean that you're not still a human being figuring it out, just like every other person on this planet is. So like that's so mm-hmm. powerful. To yeah, and that's what we want to teach our babies too, mm-hmm. right? Like. Mm-hmm hey, baby girl, like you need to know that the world will tell you you're supposed to be perfect in all these ways. And you will be, you know, people will try to use shame to force you to be what they think a a person needs to be. And it's like, no, shame is isolating. Mm. And it keeps you in the dark. Mm. But as soon as we are brave enough to say, this is what I'm going through, anybody else out there too, that's how we build our community. That's how we find out we're not alone. There's nothing wrong with us. 
and we might be struggling and we don't want to stay there, but that's okay yeah. because that's just part of, of living. Uh, we experience suffering. We experience joy. We experience everything in between. And it's all, it's all okay. As long as I think, as long as we have community to go through it with mm. so that we don't second guess ourselves in shame and isolation and, and think that, there's no way out. Yeah. That's yeah. why I love art as a metaphor for for what you're talking about because mm-hmm. I sort of it makes me think of okay, well I have a palette here and I have a mm-hmm. a supply of different colors of paints. And this emotion mm-hmm. might be this color today and this emotion might be this color and it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. It just means that they all exist mm-hmm. and they all can create, you know, a, yeah. a, a picture that can you can be proud of. And uh, yeah, it's it's really Definitely. it's a cool way to think about it. Oh. Yeah, we actually in the last week of the support group, we do finger painting with the babies. Just oh. put out a big tarp or go out on the grass, and That's yeah, funny. as a way to sort of commemorate that and to illustrate that and just have a reminder of that. You know, sometimes it might be really messy, but it's also beautiful. Yeah, and you know, sometimes, like you said, we're we're so focused on the highs and the lows and all the different. Um, struggles and and yet we're posting things on social media that are just the highlights and Mm. and it's like but it's it is uh, our lives are made up of all those moments in between and some of them are kind of they seem mediocre they seem blah or they seem like what I'm just hanging out at home with my baby playing with some toys but that's where you know we're forming those attachments and those bonds that are lifelong. Mm. Uh, and I, I think when we can say, hey, that, that first year or two of parenthood or huh, first five years of parenthood, whatever it is, right. were really hard, but I gave it my all as I, I did the best that I could, you know? Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and those days, even when we're not feeling like we're our best, but we're on the floor with our babies, talking to them, singing to them, watching them play, um, you know, splashing around in the water, getting messy, whatever it is, like, at least we can say, I was present, I was there, I I noticed you, I loved you, I really studied you as a little person and mm. wanted to be the best parent I could be for you. Mm. And part of being the best parent I could be for you is having grace for myself, that I'm not always going to be 100%, I'm not always going to be, you know, even measuring up to my own expectations for myself. But mm. I can be present, and I can do the best I can. Yeah. Uh, I can be present. I can mm-hmm. do the best mm-hmm. I can. Honestly, it's a great way to end it. That's a great way to end the, yeah. <laughs> this conversation. It's so great. Oh, yeah. Ashley, thank, thank you. you so much. I know this was incredibly helpful for me hearing your point of view and your experience. Mm-hmm. And I know it's going to be helpful for everyone else. And I'm so grateful that you took you. this valuable chunk of your day to, um, to talk to me and share. And I really, really appreciate you. Is there anything that we didn't cover that maybe you want to talk about or plug or, you know, maybe share um, recommended resources or, I mean, I'm going to link everything on your website. Uh, Is is there anything specific? Yeah. I'm so grateful for this time too, especially in the midst of COVID and all Mm. of the forced separation. It's Mm -hmm. so nice to connect, you know, virtually and and have this deep, meaningful conversation. So thank you for making space for that. Uh, I just want to make sure everyone knows about Postpartum Support International. Mm -hmm. Um, Their link is on my resources page on my website, but they have free online support groups. So even in the midst of COVID, there's always help available. No one ever has to feel alone with their feelings. 
Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, on the resources page, I've got tons of books and, and links and all of that. One of the things I put into the curriculum was, hey, even if you are not a therapist or you don't have training in support group dynamics or whatever, it's okay. This is literally like a transcript of what I say. And here are the handouts and here are the emails. And, you know, just if you just follow this, you can't really mess it up. That's so valuable, Ashley. That's yeah. so great because you're helping so many people. Mm-hmm. It's just a domino effect by putting the work in yeah. and sharing that. Planting seeds. Yeah, but it's really yeah. making a difference, you know? So thank that's you. you should feel very proud of yourself. I hope you do. Aww. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's kind of cool. And like the doctor in India contacted me and a woman in Thailand and different mm-hmm. places are like, you know, I found this on Amazon. I'm like, that's great. <laughs> and I'll yeah. talk to people, you know, about it. And if they need a little coaching or a little help to feel um, oriented to do it. But I'm really grateful for things like self-publishing and Amazon Mm -hmm. and all Mm -hmm. that to just get the word out there so Mm -hmm. that people will do what maybe they they had on their heart to do, but they didn't feel confident enough to do. Right. Right. That's awesome. Well, thank you for that. Thank you for your generous heart. I I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's fun. I'm so grateful that we got to talk about things that that really matter. Yeah, Maternal mental health is my passion. I I want every mom and dad to know that this is is a season that they're going through. It's temporary and they can actually come out of it better and stronger and healthier than they went into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you again to my guest, Ashley Hannah Morgan. You are an inspiring, wonderful human being, and I'm so glad you're in the world doing the good work that you're doing. Check out the show notes to see a link to Ashley's website, as well as direct links to both of her books, The Afterglow Curriculum, as well as her book of poems, I Gave Birth to My Heart. So beautiful. I I was just reading some of the poetry, and it's really beautiful. So support her in that way by buying her books and follow her on Instagram. The link is also in the show notes. Thank you for joining me today for another great conversation all about becoming a parent and giving birth. I appreciate your support of me in the show. The best way to show me love and support is to rate, review, subscribe. It takes five seconds to rate the show. Go do it right now. I'll give you a second. Okay. You're doing it, right? Great. Thank you so much. You can follow the show on Instagram at birth show. You can follow me on Instagram if you want at Christy will. Those links are in the show notes as well. I wish you a happy new year. Stay safe, stay healthy. My name's Christy Williams and you've been listening to birth. This is a Sync Studios production.